Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 261 of our Tick Bootcamp podcast. The title of today's interview is Beating Back Death, an interview with Stacey Johnson, Scott Duclo, and Dr. Jeffrey Lawson. My name is Matt Sabatello. My name is Richard Johannesson. So the purpose of today's interview for you is twofold. You're going to hear about Stacey Johnson's Lyme journey and also learn about the new documentary coming out on Netflix, Lyme Disease, Beating Back Death, which Stacey both produced and starred in. You'll be happy to know that Netflix is picking up a documentary all about Lyme disease to help educate the masses about the severity and reality of chronic Lyme disease. You'll learn about the physical, emotional, and mental health components of Lyme disease and other tick-borne illnesses. Stacey is somebody who couldn't put her thoughts to words, to now being on this podcast, sharing her story, and putting out a documentary to help the entire Lyme community and world learn about the realities of this horrendous disease. So without further ado, beating back death with Stacey Johnson, Scott Duclo, and Dr. Jeffrey Lawson. Hello, Stacey, Scott, and Dr. Lawson, and welcome to the Tick Bootcamp Podcast. Thank you. We're really excited to have the folks who are responsible for the soon-to-be-released film, Lyme Disease Beating Back Death. So Stacey, why don't you first start with uh, sharing with our community who you are. Give us a little, little information about your background. I, when did I start sharing with the Lyme community? No, no, I, w- I want to know about you. Our community wants to know who you are and where you came from and how you ultimately came to uh, your acting career. We'll get to your Lyme journey in a minute. Well, started started Sesame Street at four years old. Kept going, kept going, kept going. Then acting, and then I've, I've done several, several productions um, I produced. Then I got hit with Lyme. Probably, he, Dr. Loss would have to tell you the year, but 2017 was when I started aggressive treatment and it was really, really bad. However, I am back to work, but it's not like everybody thinks it is. There's a lot of behind the scenes on that also. So let's build out a little bit more of your background. I mean, you started acting at four years old uh, on Sesame Street. But you've had a pretty um, interesting career, uh, both as um, as an actress and a singer, songwriter, director, uh, a producer. I mean, you are a multi-talented human. Uh, you've even done a great w- deal of work as a stunt woman, um, yeah. and uh, and you've and you've done stunt work on some of the you know the I think some of the most iconic films. Uh, two of my favorite films, for example, um, which I do want to share with you, and I, you've done some work on the Iron Man movies. It's actually my favorite Marvel uh, movie. Uh, and another one of my very favorite movies is The, is the Greatest Showman, uh, which you had also done some work on. So uh, I was really excited when we were doing our background research on you that you have actually played a large role in two of my very favorite movies. So talk to us about some of the, some of the movies that you've done and some of the films you've done. Uh, I also want our community to know, and I want you to talk about, you're also, um, you've also been... Um, been recognized um, for for filmmaking and producing, right? You 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 produced uh, two documentaries, both of which were recognized with national awards. One had eleven national awards, another had four national awards. So let's let's build out Stacey a little bit more before we talk about your line journey, because um, I think although I appreciate your humility and I really like humble people, we need you to brag a little bit. You're 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 a real star, and we need to build that out. So talk talk to us about how your career developed and and the kinds of work you did uh, with all of your God given talents. Okay, so with doing everything that I've done, I 
I've even done sideshow. So, and we had <laughs> the Shitsy Slam show for a year, and this is when it kind of things went downhill. So, starting as a, a youngster in the industry, I had so much fun. It's so much fun. Loved being on set, loved being around people, loved my work. Um, the people that I get to meet, I mean, who, who gets to meet some of the people that I've gotten to work with, you know? And my most, my bragging rights would be the, the show, the documentary about uh, Robin Williams. He near and dear to my heart. I don't know if you pulled that up from American Tragedy. We did, we did. And, and I do want to talk to you a little bit more about that particular show because Robin Williams is actually someone that this community talks about a great deal. And, um, and, and I do want to build that out with you separately, but let's talk about your background generally. And, let, and, and I would like to focus on the Robin Williams um, part of your work. Okay, uh, dance, showgirl. So you can see that I have been active my whole life. I've loved it loved it and it's been a very very vegas vegas stages if i you know and i feel like with all the work that i've done it's not my time to stop you know it's not my time to stop i'm only 47 years old and going on these sets working with people doing the work all of the computer work that is put in, the camera work that is put in, dealing with people, having just so many things that you get to experience, traveling the world. You know, you just, you have to be in the industry to kind of understand the singing, the going on tour with different people. Um, Lyme disease kind of took it to a halt for a little while. And it's pretty much, if you put myself on all these genres, I'm, and we still have to look it up. I'm the only female known to date that has the most genres. So, 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 so you've, you've, you have had a very storied career and you've had the opportunity to work with on some of the top films with some of the top people in the Hollywood industry. And it's because you are so multi-talented, right? You've have, you have so many different right. talents. There's, there's just been no limit to what opportunities someone with your talents would have available to her because you have so many talents, right? And, and we did outline again, two of my favorite films that, you know, that I've ever watched, you were, um, you were a part of. So let's talk about Robin Williams just for a moment because I think there's sort of an ironic element here because um, many people in the Lyme disease community believe that Robin Williams had Lyme disease, that he was suffering from Lewy body dementia, and that Lewy body dementia, at least uh, by some of the leading experts in the community today, believe that Lewy body dementia is actually caused by Lyme disease. Um, when, you were, when you were doing your research on Robin Williams, did you come across any of the, um, any of the research on Lewy body dementia? And um, did you come across any of the research that suggested that perhaps it was a connection between uh, Mr. Williams's uh, untimely death and, uh, and Lyme disease. Well, I did that documentary with him. I did because I personally knew Robin. 
it was not like, hey, we picked this. And so I know the family and we can't put out medically because we just can't touch on that. Um, but with the suicide, we can go to that because Dr. Lawson can kind of tell you why you have to have, here's another thing with the documentary. We have to have criteria to meet with people. I started off wanting to have several people in the documentary. Remember this doc? Yep. That was our whole focus was to put 20 to 30 people alongside myself with the documentary. But what we found with traveling around and interviewing people were self-diagnosing and they did not have the paperwork to back it up. So I can't put that on a screen because when I go, Doc goes, whoever is co-producing this with me, we go in front of people in film festivals for Q and A's. And if they want paperwork and I don't have that paperwork to back it up, it's my documentary is no longer like it's valid. valid. Oh, so I, I appreciate that, right? I mean, you, you have to source all of the claims that you're making in documentary or it won't be a credible documentary. So let me ask you a different question, Stacey. Do you believe that perhaps Robin Williams was suffering from Lyme disease um, and that was a trigger for his, untam his untimely death? I don't know. Um, I don't know. And that's something that I can't say that I believe it because there's just not enough in that direction. So, so many people that say this, I don't know where they're getting it from. Okay. So, <laughs> Scott, why don't you build out your background first? Tell us about where you came from and tell us uh, what your life was like before uh, you met Stacy. Uh, well, I grew up in New York, um, not in the city, uh, in the country. Uh, we, we knew a Lyme disease. Um, we knew a few people who had, uh, who had gotten Lyme disease um, back in the 80s. Um, I graduated high school, straight out of high school. I joined the military. Um, I, was in, I was in the infantry for 10 years. And during that time period, uh, I couldn't even tell you how many ticks I pulled off me. And that's another aspect that I don't know if you guys have really uh, uh, um, heard anything about, but we in the military have been literally covered and pulling them off of each other. Um, did 10 years in the infantry, switched MOSs, and uh, went to uh, went to the Q course, uh, became special forces qualified, earned my Green Beret, and uh, did uh, 12 years in SF, uh, multiple tours to Afghanistan. Never went to Iraq. Um, 
So thank you, thank you for your services. It, it, it is really, uh, it's really wonderful that you that you um, took the time out of your life to ultimately serve our country. And now tell us, tell us now how you got from from the military career to a Hollywood career or, or a career in in um, it's not really in entertainment. Hollywood. He got hired <laughs> into security. <laughs> not really a Hollywood career. <laughs> I'm not an actor. <laughs> so it was it was so you're so you you pivoted from a military career to at least working in the entertainment industry uh, because you were hired to uh, serve in, in a security force. Right. He's my security. So we have a lot of us carry security with us. So he was hired on as my security. So, uh, Dr. Lawson, give us your background. Talk to us about uh, where you're from, uh, where you grew up in and where you were educated. Uh, born in Houston, Texas. My father was in the Air Force. We moved around a lot. He um, was in research and development. Um, we were in Albuquerque. He made A-bombs, H-bombs, rockets. Ultimately got out of the Air Force in uh, Dallas, Texas. Um, I went to high school in Dallas. And then um, he um, moved to Huntsville where he worked with Saturn V, shot to the moon and then retired from that and did uh, accounting. So we moved mainly from the, we were in the South and the Southwest. And I went to college at Washington and Lee in Virginia, and then went to med school in Memphis, Tennessee. And um, while I was in med, while I was in training, uh, I noted that um, when they have what they call morning report, they would uh, report on all the patients that were uh, admitted to the hospital the previous night the only ones that were under 70 had rheumatic diseases. They'd either have rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, uh, a, a, an infection in, the, in their joints. And um, so uh, I decided, well, um, maybe rheumatology is something I want to go into. Also, uh, when you rotate through your training, I was on a pulmonary service and they get you up at two in the morning uh, to see a, a new patient in intensive care and you go down and work with the person and about 6 37 he's breathing he's doing okay and the first thing he says to you is doctor when can you get me out of an intensive care so i can have a cigarette and so um i decided that i didn't want to be in an adversarial relationship with my patients that i wanted to be uh in rheumatology the patients do not cause their disease in a majority of them have um, inherited an overreactive, aggressive immune system that for some reason, possibly due to viral illness or bacterial infection or whatever, they are, their immune system thinks that they've been infiltrated by alien creatures like the alien on the movie and that it's going to jump out of their chest and kill everybody on the spaceship. And so our job is to bring the immune system under control, prevent damage, maintain independence, and provide them with a, uh, a life that they can enjoy. Dr. Lawson, what, what, describe your current practice. I mean, what, what, where are you currently practicing and what type of patient are you generally working with today? We, uh, I live in Greenville, South Carolina. My practice is called Piedmont Arthritis Clinic. I I started the practice in 1979. I'm 75 years of age. I see 20 to 24 patients every day. Majority of them are um, standard in that they have osteoarthritis, rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, psoriasis-related arthritis. 
but the uh, they uh, but every once in a while we get uh, patients like Stacy, or we have patients. Um, usually, when when uh, when a patient has a white cell count below forty thousand and a hemoglobin above six, and they have some unusual disease, then the referring physician says, "Well, this must be one of Lawson's diseases because we can't figure out what it is." So let's send it to him and let him figure it out. So some of my patients who come in with that, that type of condition, um, we just name the disease after the person, Sanders disease or Williams disease. And then we come up with a therapy that, that improves them. I had a patient in on uh, Friday who had uh, pain, swelling, and tenderness in his right wrist for several months. And he, uh, his MRI scan showed some inflammation, but he had no test positive for rheumatoid arthritis or lupus and they only had him one wrist and so we had to come up with a therapy and now he's off medication and he's doing fine no pain in his wrist and and so that's the nice thing about um our diseases is that they that um some people actually get well but we are able to maintain their uh, like i had a lady come in who was um 37 and with her children. I said, uh, your mother has rheumatoid arthritis. They said, yeah, we know that. I asked the 10 year old, how old do you think your mother was when she developed rheumatoid arthritis? She's 37 now. And he said, 26. I said, that's a good guess, but she was two years old. I've been taking care of her for 35 years. And she can, she takes, she has a job. She takes care of her family. So those are the good things about our diseases. Black Lawson, rheumatologists have played a, uh, a very important role in the understanding of Lyme disease. In fact, the, um, the pattern of, of disease that uh, ultimately became named Lyme disease was observed by a rheumatologist in Connecticut. Uh, so talk to, us, talk to us about um, what percentage of your cases currently um, are Lyme disease cases. Hardly any. Mainly because I'm not an endemic area. And so if I was in New York, then I'd have a, a significant number of patients. But uh, the few I've seen, we've always got them well, or not well, not Stacy's not well, but she's able to do things that she wants to do. And I had a patient that came in who had uh, central nervous system limes like Stacy, and she also had systemic lupus too. So that was a real challenge to get her better, but we were able to get her get her better. So Stacey, let's come back to your your journey now and, and talk to us about when your symptoms, the Lyme disease symptoms, first began to present in your life. They started probably a few years, a good few years before 2017 when it hit hard. Um, I was traveling around. It would be nothing for me to be on the road, filming, traveling three months, and I would only be home, see my home three days out of three months. That's how busy I was. I started having really weird heart issues. I kept pushing myself, pushing myself, not wanting to see that it was something serious because Every state that I would go into the emergency room when I was working would say, hey, you're working too hard. You're stressed. Maybe you need to cut time in this industry. Or are you possibly, every time they ran a drug test on me, 
never, ever, ever, Dr. Lawson, would you like to, to say I've never, ever, ever tested positive on any type of drug. And I will put That's that correct. in my life. I do not use drugs, but because of the industry, I think that a lot of doctors discount that we're just all doing whatever and it's a party heyday everywhere. And it's not, I'm not going to lie. There is a lot of it. I was just not one of those. I did drink alcohol, but I didn't do any of the other stuff. So, but I started having a lot of symptoms that they put me through multiple tests and I kept getting depression. I kept getting, it was always, you're working too hard. Well, Stacey, let's, let's, let's build that out a little bit. I, I need a timeline here. So we're in 2021. You told us uh, during, during our, um, during our pre-roll conversation that you, that you began to treat in 2017 with Dr. Lawson. So give us some, give us a timeline. When did you first start to deal with these symptoms um, that you now know to be your Lyme disease symptoms? How long before you started treating in 2017 with Dr. Lawson? Years. Tell us about your tick bite. Years. Like I can't remember the actual year. You might have it on your paperwork, but it was years that I had the tick bite and the rash, but I just pulled the tick off and I kept going because I've had tick bites before. You just pull it off and you keep rolling, you know? So Stacey, let's talk about that. Let's, let's pause there for a second. So, so um, how many times were you bitten by a tick during the course of your life? Probably several. Growing up in Georgia, I got them all the time. But I was fine until probably my mid-30s when I got bit by the tick. That one, that's when I noticed I started having fatigue and it just slammed me. And I was having to travel all over, tired, could not figure it out. They thought it was heart issues. Nothing ever showed up on any of my EKGs, my heart, every time I would get whatever they're called, you know, the sonograms of the heart, valves, everything worked perfectly. So I kept getting so many misdiagnoses that I just, I stopped. I, I stopped going because it's just like, you know, what's the point? So we're going we're gonna to build that out. So let, let's, let's go back to this tick bite. The, the, the tick bite that you believe is connected to the development of your chronic symptoms. When did you get that tick bite and where were you when you discovered that tick? I was what were you Arizona. doing? I was on a golf course. I was on a golf course in Fayetteville, North Carolina. And I had walked into the tall grasses where I was too cheap, you know, <laughs> I, I knock my balls off into the grass and I'm like, you know, I'm not going to pay for these balls constantly that I, I can't even golf. So I used to drink and golf. So I would drink alcohol, golf, and just hit balls doing just asinine things. Now I wish I'd never touched a golf club because I don't even like the golf. So. So yeah. Stacy, one of the things that we've discovered on this podcast is that in most cases, when people are bitten by a tick, their immune system can manage the microbes that are spit into them. Uh, and rarely do we see people going from a tick bite and an acute illness to a chronic illness, unless there are a couple of factors that are present that will cause you to be immunocompromised. 
And one of the things that I was listening to when you were describing what your life was like at that time, where you were working, you know, you know, 87 days of every 90 days um, of a calendar, uh, calendar uh, three month period, that you were you were just tired. You were working really hard. You were not taking a break. And and you believe that because you were working so hard and because you were doing so much that it was having an impact on your immune um, health. No, because my heart, it started affecting, I started having palpitations. I started having palpitations. I started swelling. I would have headaches. My blood pressure, remember doc, my blood pressure, yeah. he would bring me in and it was like 170 over, like, I can't remember. So they, it would hang in the 170, 160 range. And the heart is when it finally said, you know what, something is really wrong here. I can't push any further. So Stacey, how many different doctors did you see between the time that you suffered the tick bite that caused you to begin to suffer the fatigue and, and these developing symptoms? And when you finally met uh, Dr. Lawson? With ER visits and probably 20. And, that would be uh, on a low end. Okay. So, and, and so talk to us about what your interaction was with these 20 different doctors and tell us what they were landing on each one of these different doctors other than Lyme disease? I would go in to the emergency room. They would say your blood pressure is way too high or I would go into a, what do you call it? A 24 hour medical clinic and they would send me by ambulance because my blood pressure would be too high. I would get there. They would hold me pretty much the whole day or 10, 12, 14 hours sometimes, run all the tests, nothing would show up. So they, you know, they, they could never figure it out. And then I, are you eating mud? I got that one time. Are you eating red clay? <laughs> and I just looked at Amen. the lady thinking, is she serious? Like, is she really serious? I, I that pissed me off. Because I knew I'd, and I have a couple of tattoos, being in the industry, somebody had recognized me in that clinic that I'd went into. And I, 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 I thought it was because of the industry that I was just kind of being targeted as not being taken serious. So I've learned that so many people out of the industry every day folks are having the same issue of not being believed or, you know, you're doing drugs, this, that, and the other, the, you know, you, every time it was peeing a cup, blood test, and nothing would come back. And when they would see that, they were really confused because I honestly thought that I would, I honestly think that they thought that I would piss hot on something. Honestly, God. So when so when you say piss hot, you mean you you would you would have oh, dirty urine or you'd have drugs in your urine? Yes, yes, okay. because of the industry. And then they had given me depression. They had told me um, there were several times that your body cannot, your body can only withstand so much on so many hours of sleep. I get it, but you know what? Before that, I had been doing that for years and never had a problem. Never had a problem. 
So, so when Scott, you had we the tick in... bite, you got the rash. What did your yeah. medical medical friends tell you to do about the rash? Do you remember? Oh, they no. said to put an antibiotic cream on it and not yes. to worry about yes, it. Yes, to put a cream on it. And I'm like, okay, I didn't put a cream on it because I'm like, whatever. <laughs> I mean, because oh. I didn't take it serious. I knew nothing at that time about Lyme disease. Nothing. Okay. So, so let's stay with that for a second, Stacey. So you, you, you suffered a tick bite. You had, uh, you had a rash. Was it, was it a, a traditional bullseye rash or was it a different type of rash? No, it was a traditional bullseye rash. And I just thought they, somebody told me it was ringworm. Two doctors told me it was ringworm and it okay. was by my crotch. And I'm like, how do you get ringworm by your crotch? That's that that's just a that's just an area I don't think I'm going to explore. But let's stay <laughs> let's stay focused on uh, let's stay focused on your your so you 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 suffered a tick bite you had a you had a bullseye rash, and and Dr. Lawson is suggesting that you went to see at least two doctors when you were suffering from that rash. Who what type of doctors did you see? And when you went to see the doctors, were you able to show them the rash that you had um, that you had been suffering from? Yeah, I did. They were actual just primary care doctors. And they told me I had ringworm. And they gave me cream. And I said, I, I believe them because, you know, doctors are, I, doctors are doctors. I, I listen to them for a reason. They're, they're there to help. I'm not a good self-diagnosis because I'll keep on going. If there's something wrong with me, if it's not killing me, if I can't breathe and it doesn't stop my heart, I keep going. I'll push. So let's pause here for a second. And, and I'd like to bring Scott into this conversation. Scott, were you in uh, Stacy's life at that time? Were you aware that she was going through this? So Scott, when, when, when were you introduced to Stacy, and, um, and when did you first become aware that Stacy was, uh, was dealing with health issues? 2019. From the very beginning, we, uh, we discussed it. And uh, we, um, she had told me about the the, don't want to call it a journey, but the, the hell that she had gone through. And, um, and you could, you could see, and uh, there was, there was still a lot of mental and physical lingering effects. Um, I wasn't there for the, Dr. Lawson was, I wasn't there for the worst portion of it. Um, I came towards the, uh, towards the end portion and, uh, there were still some, um, some effects that, yeah, that were, that were horrible. It was, um, to the point where um, she would get out of a vehicle and didn't know if she was getting into the vehicle because we were going somewhere or if she got out of the vehicle because we were, we had parked and we were going to a restaurant or we were walking away from the vehicle. Um, it was, uh, physically, um, exhausting for her, uh, walk up steps even even just on flat ground uh taking her time 
it took years before she could even put um, put heels on and even yes, attempt. Yes, my, my first red carpet was in 2020 that I actually put heels right. on from 2017 and first time. And I had to have somebody go up on the stage for my Q&A to help me up. We were nervous. And it was a huge deal to me. So Stacy, before we turn over to Dr. Lawson with some questions for him, I, I'd like you to sort of build out for us how these developing symptoms were interfering with your personal life and your professional life. Wow. It sounds to me like you were, you were moving forward with your professional life, but uh, you've just given us a peek into some of the more severe issues you've had to deal with. Give us, give us some more detail on how your life, how your professional life first was being interfered with by your developing Lyme disease symptoms. Uh, it has crashed my professional life. Um, like I said, I traveled all the time when this happened. Yes, I am currently working and I'm lucky to do one film movie a month. Now, I used to be able to take every film that came at me. Now, if I'm picked up for five, I'm lucky to be able to make three. And that's huge for me because I've never, ever had to quit. I've never had to call out and say, look, I have to turn this contract down. And it's the worst feeling in the world. And so many people, nobody, but probably 10 people know this. So this is my first time coming out with this. So when people see that I'm doing all of this work, I'm doing 15% of work out of a hundred that I used to. And when I get these phone calls, Dr. Lawson's got my whole team, my assistants, I'm constantly getting offers for work and I want to take them so bad. And I try to take them on and I outdo it every time. Like I crash and I burn constantly. So Stacey, what, what are the symptoms that are preventing you from doing the breadth of work that you're capable of doing? I'm tired all the time. The medicine that I take makes me swell. It's a battle because in the industry that I'm in, you have to look a certain way. I haven't had Botox in two years, which is, I've always had Botox. And I know that a lot of people see that as a vanity thing, but in my work, I have to have it. And with the Lyme, it has, it's aged me. It's aged me. And there are days where I look really good. And then there are days like this, that I do not look good at all. And I can't stand looking in the mirror anymore. I can't stand it. So Stacey, you had a, you had a tick bite and a, and a traditional acute presentation of Lyme disease. You, you treated with over 20 doctors without getting a diagnosis. And then you finally found Dr. Lawson. How did you find Dr. Lawson and why did you choose to work with him? Well, he was a follower and a couple of other people, fans of movies and different things that I have done. And people 
basically sent me that way. People so that when, I trusted. So when, when folks were urging you to work with Dr. Lawson, why were you, why were they urging you to work with him? And why did you ultimately settle? Um, why did you ultimately settle to work with him? Because he's the best. And, and it was, he was, you believed he was the best because people that you trusted told you that he was essentially the doc, the real life Dr. House who could deal with and overcome diagnostic challenges and come with a diagnosis. This is how good Dr. Lawson is. I have a home in Las Vegas, Georgia, Florida, South Carolina, I could easily go to LA, but he is the only person that has gotten me better. He is the only person that I trust, that I put everything into because yes, there are doctors everywhere I'm sure that are capable, but I know his capable, like I know his capabilities and I tell people, there are entertainers, there are celebrities in Vegas. There is so many of my celebrity friends are there. There's so many in California and they have to go other places to get help. Now, you know, that's a problem. If you have people that are A-listers that live in these towns that they love, huge towns, and there are no Lyme doctors there, that's the problem because they're having to travel back and forth to the country. But with my, I have swelling issues. I can't fly. Like I cannot, it is a, it is H E double L to get on a flight because of my swelling. If I go on a project and it's more than 10 hours, I have to go three to four days prior. So my swelling goes down. Then I'm hoping I can work and get through things and I push with the medicine you know I have to take some pain medicine to get through or if not I would be just like everybody else laying in the bed because I just it's it's bad it's a lot worse than people know I, they see me in these articles they see me on tv they see me doing all of these things and they don't know how tough it really is for me Dr. Lawson, tell us what you knew about Stacy Johnson before she came to um, her first appointment with you. Um, she just wanders in. I mean, that's that's the way my life is. the The statement she made about the tick bite and the rash—that's the whole essence of why this documentary is so important. So let me tell you this story. I've got a son who's a computer geek. And he's in Virginia, and he worked for an, a group with some endocrinologists, and he made a program that connects to the uh, glucose measuring device with an insulin pump, so you don't have to worry about diabetes anymore. So he calls me one day, and this is after I've been taking care of Stacy for a couple of years, and he lives in Virginia, an endemic area, and he, he said, Dad, I'm, I'm feeling kind of funny, I feel tired, I have dizziness. I've got numbness in my hand that comes and goes. And I say, um, and I knew he'd like to go to uh, outdoor concerts with a company, a band called Fish. I said, Joseph, have you been to a Fish concert in the last two weeks? Yes. Did you get a tick bite? Yes. 
Have you had any fever or chills? No. Have you had any joint pain? No. Have you had a rash? No. I said, well, you've got Lyme disease. You need to go see your family doctor and go on minocycline 100 milligrams twice a day for three weeks. So that's like on a Friday. So he goes in to see his doctor on Monday and he's got the rash. And his doctor was impressed that I was able to make the diagnosis over the phone and put him and suggest he go on, per, on appropriate medicine. Now I told, I told Joseph, I said, Joseph, you can get your Lyme test done in three or four weeks, but it's going to be negative. You didn't have the symptoms long enough to get a positive test. But, but that's the whole point of this whole documentary is if you get a tick bite, go on the antibiotics, you know, don't wait to see if you have symptoms or anything. The, the doxycycline was used for acne for years before they came up with these other medicines. You know, it does have some side effects, upset stomach, and sometimes nausea, maybe a little headache. But if it if it keeps you from getting into a position where Stacy is, then take take the medicine. So, so Dr. Lesson, let's 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 pause for a minute and talk about Stacy's presentation. You said she just walks into your office, and how did she present? And what were you most concerned about when Stacy first walked into your office? Uh, well, let me, let me read her initial history, okay? It says, um, on January 24th, 2015, she had sudden onset of feeling of doom with pain in her left jaw and associated numbness down her left arm and tingling of the middle and ring finger of her left arm. She had a headache on the left side with dizziness and tunnel vision. He had, she had chest discomfort with shortness of breath and feeling that someone was standing on her chest. She did not cough up any blood, but she collapsed in a uh, McDonald's restaurant. They started CPR on her. A EMS was called and they continued the CPR. And then they did, then they defibrillated her twice and transported it to an emergency room in Chicago where she had elevation in what trophonins, which is chemicals that elevate if you've had a heart injury. But uh, and some ST uh, depression, which can occur with strain on the heart, but no evidence of a myocardial infarction. Um, she had increased blood pressure in her left arm as compared to the right arm and had dilatation of the blood vessels across the left side of her chest. Uh, they initially thought she may have had a heart attack or a pulmonary embolus. All her toxicology tests were negative and she had an EKG and, and an echo. Their cardiologist could not explain why she was ill, but of course, she's an entertainer. She was there with a freak show, which is the part of a circus that has a bearded lady and everything. And, and she, in the Barnum movie, she did a, a, a fire act. She does fire. Greater showman. Yeah. And so then she went to Fayetteville, her hometown. Their cardiologist couldn't find anything wrong with her. And then she went to... Um, duke and they couldn't find anything wrong with her and so they're they're telling her we you, we don't know what's wrong with you maybe it's in your head and and this wasn't blood pressure this was the the chest discomfort and so she comes in she had a history of some uh abnormal pap smears so the first thing i worried about was maybe she's got metastatic cancer and so we did scans of everything and they're all normal um she did not i was wondering about uh pulmonary emboli and possible blood clots in the pelvic area, but the ultrasound was normal. And then we, we did all my rheumatic disease tests 
for lupus, rheumatoid arthritis, they were all normal. So then I said, well, you know, let's check her Lyme test, see what happens. And she had five positive tests, two IgM and three IgGs were positive and her test of inflammation or C-reactive protein was elevated and her SED rate was normal. Okay. So, I said, well, let's, so let's pause there, Dr. Lawson. So how long did it take you from when Stacy first presented with all of the symptoms you've just described to the time that you finally thought we should test for Lyme disease? Uh, it took maybe two weeks. And then the Lyme test comes back, you know, like three days later. Okay. So we, so we knew she had Lyme disease. So <clears throat> what led you to ultimately turn to Lyme after you were considering all these other potential diseases that she may be suffering from during that two week window? Because it's the only disease that does all this weird stuff that was happening to her. It causes central nervous system and cardiac problems. She didn't give me, she didn't have any arthritis. So that made it a little harder. All my, uh, I'd had my, uh, after she came in later the next year, my lupus patient came in with central nervous system and, and central nervous system due to Lyme's and due to her lupus. Uh, but most of the patients I'd seen with Lyme's disease had had arthritis, mainly in the right knee with recurrent swelling. And uh, I had a patient that we had on Rocephin in the hospital and the hospital said, that's not our preferred um, medication and we're going to switch him to something else. And he got worse. I said, no, he's got to be on Rocephin. That's the only one that works. Put him back on Rocephin. He got it. We cured his Lyme's disease. So, so prior so that, to, prior to diagnosing Stacy with Lyme disease, how many Lyme disease patients had you treated up until that point? About four. We're not, there are not many here. Okay. You, you just, yeah, it's, so that's why the documentary is so important is, is awareness for physicians in an endemic area that, you know, the first, somebody comes in with weird symptoms. The first thing you ask them is, have you had a tick bite? Now they may not know they've had a tick bite, but and if they're still having don't. weird symptoms, you go ahead and you say, okay, we're going to test you for Lyme's disease and we're going to put you on antibiotics. Anyhow, what the heck? I mean, it's innocuous medicine. So, so Dr. Lawson, I think most of the data suggests that most people who are suffering from chronic Lyme disease do not recall having been bitten by a tick. They are stealth bugs Correct. that are very good at finding you, biting you, and leaving you without you being aware of, of, the, um, of the tick having bitten you. So at, at some point when you finally started to lean towards Lyme because you had this set of classic symptoms that were presenting um uh, with uh with stacy did you ask her has she has she ever been bitten by a tick or was that something that you um discovered after you um got the results of the lyme disease test we we didn't ask her in, initially we got it we asked her about it and it and her i mean my memory is bad so yes when 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 she comes in the first time we put her on antibiotics she doesn't talk to anybody. She just sits in the chair. She just kind of gazes across the room. She's, she's not, she's not talking to you. She's not doing, you have to help her down the hall. Her balance is so bad that you have to hold her and, and put her in the chair. And um, the other thing that's interesting about Stacy is it being an entertainer. She has an entourage with her. And so that she had her son's dressed as, Iron Man and his friends dressed as 
as Spider-Man and they come into the infusion suite where we don't, we don't have anybody in the infusion suite, but the patient. So I'm, I'm in there saying, don't worry about this. She's an entertainer. Leave the, leave the entourage alone. Let them sit here. They're all huddled around her. Please get her better. And, anyway, and, and, and Dr. Lawson, I, I think we have to pause for a minute. They were wearing Marvel um, outfits. You cannot ask somebody who's wearing a an Iron Man and a Spider Man outfit to leave. There, you know. No, no way. No way. Had, Are you good? I had also had another famous actress that was on Miami Vice with myself and an attorney. So there were like five of us there, and <laughs> like yeah. So we always traveled as an entourage. Always. And it's important to travel with your attorney. I, I admire that as well. Exactly. So we, now we understand why Dr. Lawson was going to allow the entourage to stay. The attorneys always have to stay. I always want to be there. Anyone wearing a Marvel uniform has to stay. And then, of course, if you have a if you have a friend who's a famous actress, she has to stay as well. So now you have this whole entourage there, Dr. Lawson, and you're now trying to sort of tease through all of these people and all this information, you're trying to diagnose this woman who's been on this very, very difficult and challenging journey. And you finally settle on, on giving her a Lyme disease test and it comes back positive. So now, Stacey, let me, let me focus on that with you for a minute before Matt starts to explore this, these issues with you all. Um, when Dr. Lawson said to you, you have Lyme disease, what was your reaction? I honestly, my mental capacity of anything was pretty much gone. I, I could not speak sentences. I knew at that time that I didn't even know how bad I was. I honestly didn't think that I would make it much longer because of the, the heart issues and the, I couldn't remember who I was. I couldn't work. I couldn't drive. I honestly, I, I had lost myself. I, I was gone. Mentally, I was gone. And so, Stacey, it sounds like you were just so sick that you couldn't even process the information that you were being given by Dr. Lawson. That I couldn't. That's had a diagnosis. Another, reason, another reason why I had to have so many people around. Because I would have just laid there in my hotel room and just, I don't know. Because I wouldn't eat. I would forget to eat. i I lost appetite. I lost, remember that, so much weight. It was, yeah, I, I, there were times where I would wet the bed because I would forget to go to the bathroom. So Stacey, I'm sitting here listening to you and Rich and Dr. Lawson and your husband, Scott, speak. And I'm just so frustrated by the fact that you were so sick, yet they couldn't get to the root cause, meaning you literally, your heart stopped in a McDonald's. You died. You were brought back to life. You were resuscitated. You couldn't speak sentences. You couldn't remember who you were. You said mentally you were gone. You said you didn't realize how sick you were. You were wetting the bed because you were forgetting to go to the bathroom. I mean, this is not the person you were prior to getting sick. And yet doctors could not figure out what was wrong with you. But I wonder, do you think that there was bias here because you were an entertainer and an actress and that they were sort of brushing this off as like you said maybe you're doing drugs but they're not testing positive on the drug test or maybe there's other factors here which cause doctors to sort of brush this aside and not take it as seriously as it should have been taken before meeting dr lawson oh absolutely i absolutely absolutely feel like i was 
pushed to the side because like I said, it was because of the industry working so hard and Hollywood does have a name behind it of it's one big party. I'm not going, I'm not going to deny that, but I was not one of those people that used drugs, but it doesn't matter how many times I told them, I'm sure they didn't believe me because who goes to the doctor and gets a drug test every time? I don't know that many people that get drug tested every time. Stacey, I've been in the hospital numerous times because of Lyme disease, and I've not once have been tested for drugs because of it. And I, when I say numerous times, probably several dozen times I was in the ER, and I was never once tested for drugs, which shows, again, there was truly a bias in your care team at the hospital, right? Yes. And peeing in the cup, I'm just, I just, I, I got so used to it. It was just, it, and that frustrated me. It really did, because it didn't matter what I said, they, you know, I, I, uh, I look at doctors as taking that oath for a reason. They wanted to, they want to help people, not to judge people from sight of walking in. You know, one of the things we hear often, Stacey, is that gender plays a role in medical bias as well. And Dr. Lawson, I'm sorry for being a little critical about doctors here. You're obviously the exception, Dr. Lawson, so please don't take this personal. But from our experience in interviewing so many Lyme patients, there is this medical trauma component to late stage and chronic Lyme disease. And I think you had, obviously, your, your profession was doing you a disadvantage because you were being judged by the medical profession. But you were now bringing in all these really influential and powerful people to help you because you couldn't communicate. So this is before, obviously, you're with your, your now husband, Scott, and you're bringing in lawyers and you're bringing in influential actresses and you're bringing in really smart people to help guide your care. Do you think that had a positive impact? Because from our perspective, it should have. Or do you think that that was a turnoff to the, to the doctors that you were seeing when you brought this, this whole team of people with you to try to figure out what was going on with you? No, you know, the funny thing about this, when I would go alone, it was more of a bias. When I would bring team of people that they noticed on TV, they would jump through hoops. So you recognized that you were yes. being treated poorly because you were a famous actress. So you said, you know what, if I'm gonna be treated poorly because of this, I may as well take advantage of another advantage by bringing people with me to help me get the care that I need, right? So you were trying to balance yes. that they out. Wanted autographs. They wanted pictures with us, autographs and everything. And then they would jump through hoops. Because a lot of times when I was really, really sick, when I would be taken to the hospital, I would have my hair back, no makeup on, a hat on. So a lot of times you can't notice me if I'm like out of the element and not at work. Because, and with the Lyme, you know, it changes you. If you're swelling, you look totally different because I swell a lot in my face. So people today, they are like, oh my gosh, you look familiar, but it's so much harder to recognize me if I'm not in a photo shoot or a magazine or what, does that make sense because of the line? It does. Uh, and I think pretty much everybody listening to this podcast that has dealt with Lyme disease can relate to that, Stacey. And, you know, I think this goes to show though, that 
an average person who's going in who is cognitively declined, they can't communicate. And now you had friends and family and powerful people you're bringing with you, and you still were failed by doctors until Dr. Lawson, right? If I'm just John Citizen from California who has no family support or social support or professional support, and I'm walking to the ER and I can't communicate and I have all these diverse symptoms, I mean, I'm at a huge setback here to get a proper diagnosis of Lyme disease. And I think that's why so many people go so long before getting a proper diagnosis because it's just not thought about enough. And if you don't have enough of a support team behind you, it's really going to delay your diagnosis. So what do you think about that? It is. Well, here's, and he's noticed this too. Now I will go places if I've had to go to an urgent care, wherever I'm filming, they will treat me whatever. But as soon as they're like, oh my gosh, I think that's Stacey Johnson. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. How do they change? Then yeah. they're jumping through hoops. They're like, okay, we will do anything first in line and out the door, which is not fair. It's not fair. It works in its advantage, however, but it takes people knowing who I am. And when they realize it, you see their attitudes. Or their attitudes. Their attitudes go from, you know, okay, we're just going to do this. They find out who I am from other nurses or whatever that's around. And then they're coming to the room and they're wanting to talk about my career and they're, can I have an autograph and take a picture with you? And then they're really nice. And then they want to help. That's not cool. Because if, that, if that's happening to me, I know that that's happening to everybody else, not in the industry. Right. And, and again, you still didn't get a proper diagnosis, even though people no. were recognizing you and you were leveraging, you know, your advantages that you had because of your profession and your friends and your socioeconomic status. And you still didn't get a proper diagnosis. Right. I mean, you were telling yeah. us earlier that you have A-listers that, you know, in Hollywood and in the community that have to travel across the country to get proper treatment for Lyme disease. So even people that have far more means and advantages than the average person are still having trouble getting proper care for Lyme. And you noted yourself, Stacey, right? You are where you are geographically today in the world because you needed to be in close proximity to Dr. Lawson to give you proper care because you couldn't get that anywhere else, right? And you are somebody of means compared to others who may be going through this and struggling to find a doctor to help them, which stresses how much awareness and advocacy and change we need in the Lyme community which is exactly why, Stacey, you're creating this documentary coming out at the end of the year, Lyme disease beating back death, right? Right. And another thing that I would like to know, like Lyme disease patients to know, is yes, sometimes I do get preferential treatment. I understand this. But I do get treated the same way as everybody else. And I am, with Dr. Dr. Lawson coming up with these concoctions, some of these things could have killed me. Right, Dr. Lawson? They could have killed me. And we were, we were a touch and go a couple of times with some of these, trying some of these things. So, yes, I kind of feel like I'm a guinea pig. I don't want to be. I'm glad to be for everybody else. But it's not easy on myself either it's not like hey I never wanted to be an advocate of I, I didn't want this disease like anybody else doesn't want it I think again you're the perfect person to bring this documentary to the general public on Netflix because 
your case was one of the most severe ones. You literally died in McDonald's parking lot. You're now telling us that Dr. Lawson gave you treatment that was trial and error that could have been touch and go, right? It could have been really bad for you, the treatment. And luckily it, it helped you. It. You were hospitalized. Yes. I, there were times that I had weird things go on, right, Dr. Lawson, that he would yeah, have to put me weird. in the hospital because these treatments did not, my immune system, right, would fight the medicine, the rocephin and things like that, the infusions going in. And it just, it was like a war in my body and I'd have to right back in the hospital. It was not fun. It was not like I went on infusion lines with rocephin and everything just went great. It was a lot of touch and goes. And that's why we're so thankful to you, Stacey, because you are so open and honest and vulnerable about your experiences. And I think this is going to help clear up a lot of fallacies about Lyme disease. And I think there is a difference between acute Lyme disease and chronic Lyme disease or late stage Lyme disease. And Dr. Lawson, you talked about your son, Joe, who had identified acute Lyme disease. Thank to you, Dr. Lawson. He got treatment and got better. So he didn't have to face what Stacy had to face and what I had to face because he had early diagnosis and early treatment. So I have, I have people in my life and I, one person I can think of in particular who says to me all the time, I had Lyme disease too. And oh yeah, that was a rough week. And I had to take doxycycline. Oh, my stomach hurt my doxycycline. Yeah, it's a hard disease. And I'm like, you have no idea, right? So Stacey, this right. documentary is going to help make the world aware about how severe late stage Lyme can really be. And that's what I think is so powerful about your journey, your experience, your documentary, and your unique God-given skill set to bring this to the community to make everybody aware, not just the Lyme community, about how severe this illness can be. I mean, look, you had a doctor, despite all of your advantages, tell you you were eating mud before he thought about Lyme disease. That's outrageous, right? Think about that, how crazy that sounds and how oh, insulting that pressure, sounds. When it was up over 170, I was pissed. And I couldn't be any more pissed because I was having a hard time breathing. So luckily, my blood pressure was up at that time because that doctor and I probably would have had some issues in that room. So we actually had a guest yesterday tell us that, I believe she said she wanted to throat punch her doctor because of how horrible he was. So I'm sure you had some of those moments as well. We just wanted to just slap your doctor around after being treated so poorly by, by the community. I, mine were always bad cases when I went in. Mine were like, I was rushed into the ER. I, Doc can tell you. Ambulatory. Like, mine has never been, oh, just walking in because I push myself with work. I put my work first. And if I die, I die. Like, and that's what has happened. Like, I, I don't go in for colds. I don't go in for anything. Like, I had the cancer this last year and I hemorrhaged. That's the only reason why I went in. And I almost Number died one. there. So I go in when I'm on death's doorstep. So you're not in a position to be able to really be getting feisty with your doctor because you're so sick, you're bed bound, you're ambulatory, you're in a really bad state. So just to give us, I want to try to identify a timeline here, right? So at what age, Stacey, did you first start to develop your symptoms? I know I'm going backwards a little bit, just so we can develop a context here. When did you first develop your first Lyme related symptoms? Now you're talking about the tick bite? Well, the yeah, I guess when was the tick bite? And when, when after that, did you start to feel sick and start to develop your early symptoms of Lyme disease? Do you remember the year, Doc? Um, it, I'm not sure. I, 
you you had the your heart stopped in 2015. I think you got your tick bite like at least two or three years before that. So right. it may have been like 2012 or something. Okay, so about 2012 is when you got your bite, and around 2015 is when your heart stopped. But in between there, obviously, there were other symptoms that were building in, Stacey, right? Oh, so that's were. when all those other symptoms you talked about earlier, correct? So, and this is, I had been bitten in probably, probably around 2005, another time. But between these different tick bites, I'd never had any issues. But the one that we're talking about that I think I, we can pretty much peg to it is the one that around 2012, because when that one bit, that's when fatigue for like a whole year, that's what started first. And then it led up to swelling, blood pressure problems, and then heart problems. Are you comfortable sharing about how old you were at the time when you got bit by the tick when you were golfing and you didn't want to get, you know, extra balls. So you were going to get these balls out. So you'd have to buy more balls and you got bit by the tick. So I think I was 38. Yeah, that sounds about right. 38. Yeah. 38. Yeah, I think so. like 10 years ago. Yeah. Nine years ago. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So then, then how long was it from the time in 2015 when your heart ultimately diagnosed you with Lyme disease? 2017. So another two so years. From 2015 yeah. to 2017, I kept seeing, now I was not seeing just regular, I was seeing specialists and they didn't catch it. Talking Duke, was it Moffitt? Moffitt does that sound in Florida? What, is yeah, it Moffitt yeah, in Florida? They said they would not take my case. What kind so of specialists were you seeing? Like, like neurologists, rheumatologists, you know, give us some examples of doctors you were seeing. Neurologists, cardiologists, um, hematologists. He is the first rheumatologist that I'd ever seen. Oddly enough. I know. There you go. I mean, I'm like. Well, Dr. Lawson, how again. Long, oh, how long were you on IV therapy? I did the nine months of Rosepin infusions, and then I did six months on a pick line. But that was post-diagnosis with Dr. Lawson, correct? Right. Right. Nine okay. months of IV antibiotics to get her where she is today, and she's still on the oral antibiotics. And six months on a pick line after that. Because okay, I want to get to that in a second, though. So I just want to now, so Dr. Lawson, for you... Again, just telling you the raw truth about what we experienced on this podcast, again, after interviewing 251 Lyme patients prior to this interview, oftentimes rheumatologists treat Lyme patients very poorly and dismiss Lyme, refuse to test Lyme, offer to test Lyme, and then never test for it. Really, really bad experiences that people have with rheumatologists, even in tick endemic areas like New York and Pennsylvania, right? But here you are, Dr. Lawson. And you're not in an endemic area, but yet you're what we, Rich and I like to call your Lyme woke. So you are, I think, a very unique and special doctor. So thank you, Dr. Lawson, for being so open-minded and willing to treat the patient and look at the bigger picture, because clearly you helped save Stacy's life. And I don't know that many other doctors would have been able to do that. So thank you for that, Dr. Lawson. Well, that's why this documentary is so important that Stacey get it out and get it on Netflix, because this documentary will make awareness for this disease available throughout the United States and, and even Europe too. So now let's talk about Dr. Lawson, the blood work, right? So you see Stacy, she comes in, 
And now just for context time as well. So at this point now, Scott, you are now married to Stacey. Is that, is that correct? When, when you first no. see Dr. Lawson, or am I wrong with that? No, no. Not yet. Okay. So we're still not there yet. I'm sorry. So Stacey, you come into Dr. Lawson and Dr. Lawson, you're running a whole bunch of tests. And I think you mentioned it came back where it was sort of indeterminate, right? There weren't enough bands. Is that what you said earlier? No, hers were no? damn positive. Okay. The top of the line, <laughs> five positives. I mean, nobody can argue. They can't say, oh, I don't think you have a, they, they, that is the steer uh, diagnostic requirement. Uh, Alan Steer, five positive, three, uh, three gamma G's and, and, and immunoglobulin G's and two uh, IGMs. You got it. I mean, that is, you know, it's kind of like a heart attack and you're, your EKG looks horrible. You having a heart attack? It, it is nobody disputes that. Yeah, and and we are very familiar with Dr. Steer and Dr. Benach and many of these doctors that are from our area. And unfortunately, we believe that they have caused a lot of setback in the community over the last several decades. And I think it's it's good to see that some of them, like Dr. Benach, you know, one of the three Bs of Borrelia, who initially diagnosed or I'm sorry, who who discovered Lyme disease, is now recognizing that. Lyme can persist and be a chronic problem because for many years he refused to acknowledge Lyme beyond an acute phase, which did many of us a disjustice, including myself and Stacy. So if you're positive with those guidelines from these people who were Lyme deniers, you're definitely positive, Stacy, right? I mean, that's that's how I'm looking at it. So you're testing positive. And now, Dr. Lawson, you're again, you had a handful of Lyme patients your whole career. How do you then go and figure out what treatment to provide? Because if you're following ILADS, the International Lyme and Associated Disease Society guidelines they vary significantly to the Infectious Disease Society of America guidelines to treat Lyme disease. So Dr. Wilson, where do you come from with that perspective to treat? Because there's two well-established authoritarian figures that issued treatment guidelines for Lyme and they vary significantly. So where were you with that? She's near death, you throw the book at her. And so we put her on, we put her on low dose prednisone to try to calm down her immune system. And the next week she was on IV antibiotics and um, was on oral antibiotics too. So we, you know, we, we just, we, it's, it's, you know, we're, we're bombing Hiroshima. We're, we're, we're stopping this today. You're, you're on treatment. Fortunately, see, um, uh, since you don't know Stacy as well as I am, fortunately her brain was, was dead. So she couldn't argue with me about going on the treatment. <laughs> But are you trying to say Stacey's feisty and she would have argued with you? So you, you were able just to give her what she needs without any sort of resistance. Is that me telling us, Dr. Lawson? Yes, because I'm telling I'm not. I'm one of these people that will not go to the doctor ever unless I'm in the back of an ambulance and I'm dying. He can attest to this. Right. If you've met, ever met a, a chief petty officer on a battleship, that's Stacy. You know, you she is in charge. And so fortunately she was mentally not in charge, so she couldn't argue. And, and the way we would tell how she was doing is we'd ask her and um, we, um, and we would do three weeks of therapy and then we'd be off for a week and she would say, no, it's coming back. And so then we'd go back, go on, on it continuously again. So she pretty much defined how long we were going to have her on treatment because she would tell us that she was getting better. Of course, I'm used to that because that's what my patients tell me. They tell me when they're getting better and if they, if the medicine's not working long enough and do we need to adjust things. So we're, um, when we treat rheumatoid arthritis, it's kind of like 
tune in an old-fashioned radio. You turn the dial just a little bit one way or another to, to get them on, on track. And once they're on track, then you never change it. You keep it right on that station forever and ever. So, Dr. Wilson, you mentioned that the antibiotics at first, I believe, were IV antibiotics, correct? Is that what you said? Now, say that again. The antibiotics at first were the IV antibiotics? Yeah, right away. Okay. And that was that ceftriaxone? Is that what you said? Yes. Okay. It's Rocephin. Rocephin, right. Yep. I think that's right. one in the same. Rather different... than giving it a generic name, which causes a lot of confusion. Because right. they have another one that's kind of close to it that's different. Gotcha. So you're so you're giving Stacy Rosefin, and that was for about how long? You said I think nine months. I just want to make sure I under I well, heard you. Um, I'm I'm pretty sure we gave her. Uh, I gave it here in the office for six months, and then she returned to Fayetteville because she was. <laughs> see, here we go again. She was feeling better. Okay. So she stopped so listening she, to you. Yeah. No, it wasn't that. Starts, I was itching to go back thinking to work. That she's well. And so then, then she starts not feeling well again. And so we had an infectious disease physician in uh, Fayetteville that put her on IV antibiotics in a pick line. Now, I didn't put her, I didn't use a pick line. We used uh, a little needle in her vein because Stacy would have never gone for a pick line initially because that would be way too invasive to stick something into her chest or into her arm. That, that wouldn't have worked. Uh, so we did, uh, we did it with with a needle because it came out every day. Uh, but then she was used to the idea of getting the IVs um, frequently. And so when she saw the, the uh, infectious disease physician in Fayetteville, she was, it was okay to do the pick line. Of course, we had to adjust the way they delivered the medicine to her because initially they put it in too small a container and she'd get, that would make her flush and feel bad. And so we had to tell them to use a bigger container, but then, uh, she had a friend there, her, uh, her, uh, what we call them, uh, special friend, and she would, they'd hook her up and give her medicine every day for an additional three months, and then, then she, then she was quote well enough not to be on the IV antibiotics. Stacy pretty much tells you when she's going to take something and how long she's going to take it, and so we just, we just listened to her and 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 treated her and got her as well as we could get her. And, and even now she'll, every once in a while, she'll stop her, her minocycline. And fortunately the last time her veterinarian friend told her she needed to go back on her minocycline, because if I told her to go on the minocycline, she wouldn't have gone on the minocycline. Not true. Well, I had thought, okay, it's been a couple of years. I've been taking this doxy long enough. Let me, let me stop taking it. And I did for a month. And then I started having the things palpitations that started the heart block the first time so then i know i've accepted that i'm on doxycycline for the rest of my life which i don't care it's just 200 milligrams a day it's no big deal but it was something that i was just hoping that lime would be gone i want to believe but i know does that make sense it does. No, that makes total sense. And I think, Stacy, what's so unique about this relationship you have with Dr. Lawson here is, and again, we've interviewed so many people, and, and the communication and treatment failures between patient and doctors come with two different parts, right? And there's two different parties here. So when the doctor is, I'll say, arrogant and a little egotistic, then it's hard for that doctor to pivot and recognize when they need to make a change, and that hurts the patient and they suffer. 
or if the patient isn't willing to work with the doctor and they're too defiant and they're, and they're going to just go off and say, I don't want to treat, that's not good either, right? But Dr. Lawson, you are a very humble doctor. You are a very good doctor. And you said, Dr. Lawson, that you would get her feedback, right? That Stacy would tell you because you would ask Stacy, how are you feeling on this treatment? And if you were feeling well, you'd continue. If you weren't feeling well, you'd make a change. And that in our experience is the best way to approach this disease because it's not just cut and dry where you're just gonna get this, this amount of doxy and get better. How long, what dosage, right? There's minocycline, there's so many other antibiotics, IV antibiotics, so there's a lot of factors to consider and a lot of lifestyle things to consider. And I think that's why you've had the success that you've had, Stacey, because you are a good patient despite being feisty. And I think it's in a good way, right? That you are vocal because you wanna say, this is how I am feeling. And then Dr. Lawson is on the other side trying to keep you healthy and keep you staying healthy, but also being humble and not arrogant to, to hold you down because he doesn't want to admit when a change has to be made on a particular protocol. So, you know, do you guys see that from a big picture, how, how great of a team you are together? We are. So don't think that we don't have our squabbles. I started. Oh my God. Um, I've been chewed <laughs> out. Started, I've been chewed out many a time by <laughs> Stacey Johnson. So you know, I, I, I started chewing you out. Just, just like that um, chief petty officer on a battleship. You do something she doesn't like, she's going to tell you about it. But that's my that's my producing side, and that's my from my work. However, I love my doctor. There is no to me, there is no better doctor in this world than Dr. Lawson. And I I love my doctor. And thank you. Yes, like truly love my doctor. I would not go, I'm telling you, like if there's anything. I go to him. I go to him. So our relationship is very, it's to other people. It's probably like, what is going on? Well, I'm a different type of person. I'm very type A. Dr. Lawson is not. He's very, he's very like going along. No, I'm type A. I'm there to get things done. And my thing was, I was so itching to get back to work. I couldn't stand it. And I had to prove to myself that Lyme was not going to take me down. That was that that was the same thing. Was I was not going to let this take me down. However, I will admit that I should not have stopped treatment at some time. I will admit that I go too far because I don't want Lyme defining my life. And I may or may not should do this, but. I act as if I don't have it because if I keep dwelling on it every day, it puts me back in a darker spot than I'm already in. And look, I, that's, I totally understand that. I think all of our listeners totally understand that. And I was, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I wanted to ask the question that you answered anyway, without me asking, which is great is I, there's that balance, right? Because I, and I think I struggle with this and so many of us do where you're not going to let Lyme keep you down. You're not going to be defined by this disease. So when you're feeling better after six months of this IV rocephin that you were getting through through the IV and not the, the pick line, you went back out and started working again, right? But then you said, uh, I probably did it too soon and I probably shouldn't have done that, right? So how do you straddle that balance of health, but also living your life and not letting your illness define you? And that's a really hard line, I feel like, to manage when you suffer from Lyme disease. So talk to us a little bit more about that. It is because when I went back to work, I 
knew that I had accomplished something. And I thought in my head, Lima's behind me. Like it's behind me. I knew that it wasn't because I still had the symptoms. I still had the pain. I still had everything. They weren't as severe. So if I was at a hundred, they were probably down to a 30, but it was still there. But I'm one of these people that I'll put it in a compartment over here and I'll stick it over there. And I want it to leave me the hell alone. And if I'm doing other things, throwing myself into work, I'm not thinking about it. I know I'm damaging myself. I know it. And, but I can't, I'm one of these people that I can't sit at home because if I sit at home, that's when I start going to these dark places because I'm still battling with these dark places, even when I'm not at home and I'm at work. So this is so weird. The time that the roughest time where I was coming out of the phase, probably the last six months, I didn't have the suicidal tendencies. My mother and doc had to keep me going with things that I could do at home. Like, I mean, I started in these business adventures that I had no business going into that weren't film industry and just wasting this money but it was they they kept me alive from taking my life because at that point I thought that I would never go back to work and to work there there's not a Stacy without my work if that makes any sense because there's yes there is a Stacy Johnson to most but to me my work is me so it's like with that, I lost my life. And then I had to try to find a new identity in which I didn't want to be in at all. So I had probably a year after that, I lost my mom suddenly, which put me into a huge, whatever, emotional battle. I threw myself even harder into work. And then I had cancer. I pretty much knew, but I kept going and just said, you know what? I don't care. At, at some points I didn't care. I, I just, if I died, I wanted to die fast. And doc didn't know this and he, he kind of knows some of it, but, and then I hemorrhaged. Well, there was no choice because it was bad and five surgeries into it. And there again, you know, I'm having surgeries done after six weeks of losing all of that blood. And I'm wanting to go back on an airplane because I've got to be back on set. And I've got two more surgeries that I've got to have for the aftermath of the cancer. And I'm like, maybe I just don't have to get them. So that's where I have screwed myself. And then with the, the suicidal, it has gotten worse. The tendencies have gotten worse because... I look back and I think, okay, it's only been maybe two years. And the people around me are like, no, Stacy, it's been more like five that you've been sick, really, really sick. So then it gets more depressing because you know that it's not going to get better. You know that it's not going to go away. 
and you know that it's going to be a constant forever because I had this in my mind that, you know what, I've gotten better. I still have the inflammation. I still have the pain, but at least I have my mind. I, I can at least work now and do what I love, but I can't do it like I used to. I can't be all over the world constantly at any given moment. I have to plan things out now to go to work. Like it would be like having a child at home to have to make all these plans to go to work out of country. So I have to take from A to Z and then having my studio and all of these things that I worked so hard and saved so much money to open my studios. Like at certain ages, I had goals, 10 year goals, studios by a certain age, film studio by a certain age. And I've reached that point, but guess what? I have Lyme disease. So now I still have the mind to go at 100 miles an hour, but my body will not let me. And it's hard. It is very hard. Stacy, but thank you for being so, again, this interview is so raw and vulnerable and truthful. And this interview is so needed for the community because most of the people listening to this podcast are dealing with Lyme disease and tick-borne illness. And they can relate to what you're saying, but they can't communicate it themselves. So you are becoming the voice of the community. So thank you, thank you, thank you for being so open and honest about this. You felt like your identity was stripped away from you because your identity was your job. And when you couldn't work because you kept getting sicker, and you kept trying to go back to work and you kept getting more sick, it was a struggle. And I want to get to the mental health component of things. And I also want to just say, I hope you reflect about this piece of it because we're going to get to this as well. But I mean, look, you have really, really severe Lyme disease. You were really sick. Thanks to Dr. Lawson, you've made some major gains and progress in your healing, but then your mother dies. And we know when that happens, emotional trauma is a trigger for illness. It's a trigger for immune suppression. And then shortly after that, you had a, a bout with cancer and had a really, really ugly bout with cancer and hemorrhaging. And look, here you are today, Stacey, on this podcast, communicating very well. You're putting out a documentary this year to help the community. So I'm looking at this a little bit different than you. I'm looking at this as your purpose and identity is shifting. And what's happening here is your purpose and identity is to help the community, to help people like me, Stacey, to help people that the millions of people in this world who are suffering from chronic Lyme disease, you are going to be our voice. You are going to get the word out about this disease and you are gonna help us make progress in this world that we've been desperately seeking for decades. So thank you for that. And I believe that's a bigger purpose than anything you had planned to do before. So I hope you realize how powerful that is. I hope here's, something you all, here's something else you need to understand about Stacy. Most people think she, she has significant wealth now. All right. When she came to see me, she had no wealth. She had no money. She had no insurance. She we take we took care of her for free. I put her up in motel rooms so that she could be there to be treated. So she had no money to begin with. So her wealth that she has now had nothing to do with her treatment. So people who people who say she got better because she had money, that is incorrect. She didn't have any money when I was taking care of her. She she had no insurance. She she was 
I had stopped my mm-hmm. insurance because I was like, you know, I'm never going to get sick. And sure enough, as soon as I stopped my insurance, Blue Cross, I'm like, hey, I don't need it anymore. Well, well, there you go. So the money that people thought, like, yes, it's a lot more now, but they thought that I was working with like $50 million coming into this. And that's not true. Stacy, again, your honesty about everything is so powerful because anytime we do a, a story like yours with, with somebody who's famous and a celebrity, we get overwhelmed with comments, direct messages, and emails attacking us, telling us they don't understand what it's like. They have unlimited resources. I have financial constraints. You're not portraying the real story here. And I think here we are. We never know the circumstances of what's going on. I mean, you are a famous celebrity. You are a famous performer. And yet, Dr. Lawson and you just shared with us, Stacey, that you had limited resources. You had no insurance, yet you were still able to find ways and be resourceful to get to the health you're at today. And I think it's a really another powerful part of your story here that people aren't going to be able to t- tell us, hey, look, Stacy got better because she had unlimited resources. That was not true at all, right? So you're going exactly. to give people hope in this community. So I thank you for sharing that piece of your story because I think that's a really important part of your journey as well. So now I keep asking, and I'm probably, we're not there yet. When did Scott come into the picture? Because now you're, you're in Fayetteville, right? You're treating now with a pick line and you're doing a little bit better. We're about a year into your diagnosis. Did, is this when Scott is now helping you with your security or is it still later on in the picture? No, it was nine months with PickLine with Doc. And then it was six months. My mom and I kind of had a weird relationship. And it was at that point, I kept getting different, like talking to the Lyme community. You know, it's, you, you get, okay, after this, you'll be good. No, you'll never be good. So I had to make that decision of, you know what? And at that time, Doc and I and all this, really correct me if I'm wrong, Doc, we didn't know if this was going to be a lifelong thing for me. Correct, Doc? Yeah. Stacy's mother was a lieutenant colonel in the Air Force and ran a MASH unit in Afghanistan. So when her her experience, her mother's experience, when she sees a patient, they have a big hole in them or no arm or leg. So when when her daughter dies in Chicago, she wants to know why she died. And the medical community is saying, your daughter is crazy. There's nothing wrong with her. And her mother's saying to Stacy, you need to be evaluated more. You have to have more evaluations. So one thing I promised her mother, I've only saw her twice, was I would make sure that I got her better and that I make her life happily ever after. And those are the two things I told her mother. And so uh, there, there was a, a conflict between Stacy and her mother there for a while until we got her on treatment and figured out what the heck she had. So Stacy, talk to us. Okay. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. So yeah, I just want to kind of catch up again. So I, I, you corrected me that, and thank you, that it was nine months of IV recephin with Doc, and then it was six months of the pick line when you went back to work, right? So 
How are you feeling at the end of the six month window of having the pick line in? Because clearly you got the pick line in because you started to have symptoms creep back in. You had to go back on antibiotics. You did it there. Now the six months is up. You're getting the pick line removed. You're stopping your antibiotics. How are you feeling at this time? At that time, I, I, I used to walk kind of sideways. Like I had this weird sideways walk. And then I had the Bell palsy probably for a year and a half or so. So those kind of, those things went away. My mind started coming back. I've actually gained a lot of memory and absolutely can form sentences since probably 2020 really well. So when I go and I act, I have to have cards typed out for myself. So and I use a teleprompter. They have to use special equipment for me when I do my acting roles, which is above what they go for other people. If I had just started into the industry, I would have never been able to work again. But because I'm so well liked, known, and I'm a hard worker, speaks in itself to almost fatal instances that I put my work first because I was not going to leave a set unless I was dying. And I think, but are you saying that you were at work on set and there was two times when you were working that you nearly literally I know, died? I because I knew, I knew that, you know, you have that gut feeling of something's going on, like with the bleeding. I went for months with this dumping of blood, dumping of blood, and then finally went back to Fayetteville for a couple of days and it just started coming out and made it to Doc and it just in time. Did I not? Yes. Well, her, uh, she'd had an abnormal la- uh, uh, pap smear for a long time. And, and, and who am I to say Stacy's stubborn? But we've, we've, we've been trying to get her to address this problem for a considerable period of time. And when she, when she said she's bleeding, Scott said he hadn't seen so much blood since he was in Afghanistan. And so when you, when you talk about her having some vaginal bleeding, it was it, uh, when, she, when I got her in to see the gynecologist who was going to do the ultimately sent her to a, 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 P, a, a, a oncologist, a gynecologist to have her hysterectomy done. They sent her down to the emergency room to give her some fluids because her blood pressure was so low from all the bleeding she had. So she's a two-time survivor, one Lyme and one cervical cancer. Yeah, and I put, you know, because the Lyme had taken its toll on me for a little while and I didn't want it to define me. So I threw myself more into work thinking, okay, Cancer's not going to be any worse than Lyme. If I've got Lyme, yeah. and it, when I heard I had cancer, I'm like, whatever, that's nothing. And it really wasn't anything to me. It really, and I still look at it this day, and some people look at me like I'm crazy, and I'm like, I'm, I'm sorry. Lyme, to me, has been far worse than everything that I've dealt, surgery and everything with cancer. Cancer did not, they told me I had cancer, and I'm just like, so? So what? What now? It did not bother me a bit. It did not scare me a bit because with you guys having Lyme disease also, you know, I I mean, there's all the effects on the body. 
is it never goes away. You may get brief moments. You may get hours that you're not in pain, or you may have dates that you're swelling, but pretty much on every given day, you have some type of symptom from Lyme. I do anyway. For sure, Stacey, but talk to us about, because we're getting tighter on the time from here to the present date. I want to know a couple of things, a key points in your journey. So you, you said your mother passed and obviously you met your now husband. So did you meet Scott first or did your mother pass before you met Scott? My mother passed and then I had some issues with the state and stuff like that. So we had to hire more security because things were going on due to that. Because I pretty much got everything and family members were a little not so happy with it. So, yeah. Gotcha. So, so I guess before I, I, I want to follow up on Scott and ask some questions about that relationship, but when your mother passed, like I said, we know that emotional trauma, I won't call it trauma, emotional stress is an immunosuppressant and it can make Lyme worse, right? So did your symptoms worsen or did you have any flares after your mother passed because of the emotional stress of your mom passing and now all this other stress about all of everything being left to you and having to deal with all those other issues you described about needing more security and having all these battles going on about, about the inheritance? Oh, certainly, certainly. It, she went in for a 15 minute surgery and didn't come out. She was perfectly healthy and it was a bombshell. So when I was there, I, I was in a huge flare. And then that flare took it too. I, I'm telling you, if I had not had people around, I would have taken my life. So let's, that road. let's talk more about that, Stacey, because suicide and Lyme disease are a really important discussion that isn't had enough. And it's been talked about a little bit on this podcast, but not enough, in my opinion. And we're starting to explore it more. We know that Lyme disease causes mental health related issues. I mean, look, when you're that sick, of course, you're going to be depressed and anxious and have all these negative thoughts going on. But we also know that we've learned from some of the leaders in this community, the, the scientists and the researchers like at Duke University that are studying this stuff, they've proved that the bacteria, when it goes into your brain, which clearly did for you because you had neurological Lyme too, that it will actually cause these symptoms. So not only are you feeling this way because you're sick, but it's neurologically changing you and your brain pathways. So give us an idea as to some of these thoughts and feelings you had regarding suicide, if you're comfortable sharing this. And, and again, probably a trigger warning should be issued here for anybody listening to maybe fast forward if they don't want to hear this part about suicide. But give us an idea of some of the thoughts you had pertaining to suicide after your mother's passing that you never in your wildest dreams imagined you ever would have thought about prior to getting sick. No, I, I had never had issues with suicidal thoughts. Um, when I was so sick, I really didn't have those thoughts because I was not there. However, there were some at the end of it, my treatment, because I thought that I was stuck and would never be able to work. When my mother passed, it hit, like it really hit. But then I put myself back into work but for some reason, this happened in 2018, 19 was fine, but then the cancer happened and I thought, you know, what else could happen to me at this point? 
but it has been the last year that I battled the worst with the suicidal thoughts. And I don't know why, because I, I'm better as opposed to where I first started with not being able to think the heart issues. But for some reason, it has worse for me now, those thoughts and the dark places. It's like I can't pull myself out of dark places. Doc can tell you, I used to laugh. I used to make jokes. Things aren't funny to me anymore. My nature is more aggressive when I deal with people. I don't have tolerance like I used to with people. I don't, I used to be the class clown. I used to be the joker, everything. And now something has changed in me from the start of the line and it just has gotten darker and darker. And that is why I've switched to darker roles in movies because I don't have to go anywhere. It's there. So Stacy, I do want to, I do want to just touch on this a little bit. Is there anything that helps you with these dark thoughts, with these suicidal thoughts, right? Because it's very common in the Lyme community. And again, I just love how open and honest and vulnerable you're being. This is extremely more common than people listening probably think. And people reach out to us offline all the time and share this with us, but they just don't want to admit it publicly. So thank you for that. Has anything helped you so far in your experiences with dealing with the suicidal ideations and also these dark places and the emotional complications that come along with Lyme disease? Running from them. But there's only a point like I have I have hit my point the last six months that if I don't do something, I don't know, you know, because I am I'm at that point that it's more and more and more. And it's I know that I can work now, which I, I don't understand why it's going on, because I know I can work, but I'm seeing that I can't work like I used to. And that plays a huge role in this. And it also, I've just started accepting that the Lyme is not going away. You know, I, I had this, this whatever in my head that worked for me for a couple of years saying, you know what, it's just going to be another year. It'll get better. You know, life will return back to the way it was before this happened. And I kept telling myself that. And the positive things is just, I literally have to stop what I'm thinking and think, you know what? There's another second to this. There's another minute to this. People's lives are so much worse than mine. I should be happy that I'm alive. I should be happy that I have everything that I have. I should be happy with where I am today, but it creeps and it doesn't go away. Stacy, we call that reframing. And I think that's really powerful. I mean, Rich really helped me with this early on, probably about close to two years ago, when I think when we have gone through all this horrible experience with Lyme disease and many other things like you have, our minds tend to lean towards the negative. And I had to find in my experience, I had to make a conscious effort to reframe my negative thoughts and look at them from a positive perspective and kind of flip them on their head. 
And doing that and putting effort into doing that has made my quality of life much better. And it sounds like that's what you're beginning to do is have to recognize these intrusive thoughts, try to reframe them and realize how, how, and I don't mean to make this sound um, weird, but how blessed we are because many people, Stacey, are still bed bound from Lyme disease. Many people are, are wheelchair bound. Many people never regain their cognitive abilities. You regained your cognitive abilities. You regained a big chunk of your health. So I think we have to always reframe and refocus on how much progress we've made, but also remember to never give up because we can continue to improve our health as well. So where you are today, Stacey, is not where you're going to be next year. And I believe, and it sounds like you don't yet, but I think you will at some point, that you will continue to get better and better and better, and you will continue to heal more and more and more. And that mindset you just described, and everything you're doing is proof to Rich and I that you're going to continue to get better. We've done this, again, 251 people before you. We see that, and I hope you reflect on this after this podcast and realize, don't give up. Keep trying new things. You're going to continue to get better. And you are very, very blessed, and you're very fortunate to have Dr. Lawson. And there's a whole community of people out here that are willing to help you and contribute and give you feedback based on what has helped us personally, because sometimes it's never, well, not sometimes, it is never a one-size-fits-all solution to treat late-stage chronic Lyme disease. So please don't lose sight of that. I, I try not to, I, but I noticed, you know, I, I really had to sit down and I have pushed everybody pretty much out of my life, except for very few people. And I had several people that I used to talk to. I noticed that I stopped taking phone calls. I just put myself into work. I would forget messages and I kind of felt like I wanted to just back away from the world. I hate taking pictures now. I doing a podcast like this, looking like this was hard for me. Which well, I just I, want to say, Stacey, because people can't see you. You look, you look very well. So you look, and I know that's a really, I, I feel, I don't, I don't feel comfortable saying that, but you look healthy and you look well. And I know with Lyme, you can look healthy and feel horrible, but you look really good. And again, we've been talking since nine o'clock this morning. So we're going on over almost two and a half hours and you're still very well much with it, right? You're presenting yourself. This is an emotional podcast and you're doing really well. So I want you to be maybe a little kinder on yourself and realize how far you've come, right? Because I think you look better than you think you look and you're doing better, a lot better than you think you're doing, I think. So just keep that in mind too. Well, you, you understand it's taken a toll. Like it took a toll that I, I have tried to stop and stop and stop. And it has, it has, it's reached that point to where I know that it's a problem. So now that Dr. Lawson has put in a letter that I am taking off for three months for self-care and to go and just work on my studio and not film for a couple minutes. So it's going to be completing the documentary and the studio. And I'm not going to be on an active scene just for a couple of times, but I've got, I've, I've reached that point because I've come too far with the illness to do something stupid or whatever. And, you know, for full disclosure, I know not everybody agrees with this type of stuff, but I personally believe a lot in, in these brain rewiring techniques, because when you are sick for so long, your brain patterns and your brain signals get stuck in that pattern. And now that you're physically feeling better, it sounds like your brain signals are still a little stuck in that chronic illness state. 
And there are a lot of tools out there that we can talk about more offline if you'd like, but a lot of members of the community have used tools like DNRS and the Gupta protocol and VitalSide. And what these tools are, Stacey, they're they are tools to help you retrain your brain to get out of that dark place you described, to get out of that place of thinking, I'm gonna have to live like this and to reframe your thoughts to have a positive outlook on life. And some of the stories we've heard on this podcast of people using those particular protocols have been amazing and transformational. And they're generally most successful at the later stages of their journeys where you are. So I think right now you're in the perfect spot for something like that to try because it, it really has been the final piece of the puzzle for many people in their healing journey. So those are DNRS, it's called the Gupta Protocol and VitalSide. In fact, VitalSide was created by a young woman who suffered from chronic, chronic Lyme disease for most of her life. And she used that as a final piece of her healing journey. And now she's been, been helping countless people with this technique to help them get over their Lyme journey as well. So that's another thing I think to consider throughout the next few months when you're taking time for yourself to, to work on yourself and not have a, a health setback as well. So, but I do just want to, I wanted to tight, tighten up a couple of things here. So your mother passed, you were going through all this, you had a lot going on, you hired security. And it sounds like your now husband, Scott was one of those security members. Is that correct? Correct. So talk to us about the transformation of having him be a member of your security team to developing a romantic relationship with Scott who, and then becoming, you know, married to Scott and now being in, in this, this marriage and how, how difficult Lyme disease made that journey because so many people, and again, you're giving us so many really amazing pieces of advice on this podcast, but I can't tell you how many people, Stacey, tell us, I refuse to date. I refuse to consider marriage because I'm not hundred percent better. And therefore I'm not worthy of love or nobody's going to want to love me because I'm sick, but you found Scott, right? And you were still sick. You were better, but you weren't hundred percent. And now you're in a happy, successful marriage. So talk to us about that transition and how you managed to obtain the successful marriage and relationship despite your illness. Well, my, the way I think is not typical to others. And Doc can tell you this, my, my like relationships are best friend relationships. So whenever I, girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever, whatever it is, it's best friend. And there is no, what do you call it? Um, I, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a weird, different type of person. I invest in my relationships as friends. And that's how everything, all of my group is. And Doc can tell you, it's we're all like a closed group. So I tell everybody that I love them that are my friends. And some people look at me like, what is, what is wrong with this girl? She says this all the time. And it's, best my connections best friends like everybody's best friends that my group it's not just like oh Stacey falls in love with all these people and no best friends I have best friends so it, what started as a friendship and developed into a best friendship then evolved into a romantic relationship so talk to us about how that happened and what that was like for you so shortly after your mother passed and going through everything you were dealing with. I wasn't there. I wasn't there. I, I was not there. Like, I don't think I was capable of anything. So when he thought that, you know, 
driving around and doing stuff. He probably thought I was nuts, to be honest with you. Most people do if they don't know. She doesn't give herself enough credit. She is an amazing, beautiful, fantastic, intelligent woman. And I am, I, uh, I'm thankful, thankful to have her. And, uh, I've always been the helper Mm. in our group. I've always been the person if somebody needed something and for me to have to, I don't like to ask for help. And when I do, it's, I don't like it. I've never liked it. And I really don't like it now. Being in this role. But Stacey, I think it's help and support that has gotten you where you are today. Because again, you were not able to even communicate when you first saw Dr. Dr. Lawson. So it's the team of people, your mom, your doctor, your now husband, it's Scott, right? It's all these people that have helped you to get where you are today. And of course, a big part of that is you, but you were open to those relationships and accepting of that help as difficult as it may have been. So Scott, talk to us about your observations, right? Because now, you know, fast forward, you're now married and you're, you're helping Stacey get through her journey and she's doing a lot better, but she's still not where she wants to be. Then the cancer kicks in. She has all of this, this going on with her cancer. What were your observations about Stacy's health, Scott, when this, when she started having all of these hemorrhaging problems, she was diagnosed with cervical cancer. Did you notice an, an increase in symptoms? Did you notice maybe some Lyme symptoms creeping back in because of her health condition going on with the cancer? She, here's here again, uh, what she said before. Um, and, and, I damn near had to drag her out of the house, get her into the car to even get her help. She wouldn't, um, it was, it was like doc said, I, I've seen blood before, but coming from my wife, that amount, um, that put me in a completely different emotional state. Um, getting her help, thank God, uh, she is. <laughs> she, <laughs> I love her. She is stubborn. Um, she's a she is that that A type personality. And um, if we hadn't made it there. in the time that we did. But again, no coincidences, Scott, right? I mean, here you are, you're newly married. And because of your persistence, and you basically say, it sounds like, you know, I'm being dramatic, but it's not like you had to literally throw her into the car to take her to get help because she didn't want to, to get help, right? That's what saved her life during this, this bout with cervical cancer. So talk to Scott about, about the recovery. So now, all this goes on. It sounds like there's multiple surgeries and procedures, and now you're, you're post-op and you're post-cancer. What was your observation of your wife's health in the recovery from that, considering she was still dealing with Lyme disease and also recovery from cancer? A little depressive. It was depressive. Um, there were additional issues that were going on with it that we couldn't figure out as far as what was going on. Um, the, the, initial doctor that saw her, uh, it was, uh, it was scary in that room. Uh, we'll just leave it at that and leave the rest for the documentary. But it was, uh, 
it was it was almost like her being thrown back into that 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 wheel just that that mill just brought her right back around and dunked her right back under the water again and it's bringing her right back around and dunking her right back under the water again so it was uh so scott i'm not going to push you for more details but i i just want to make an observation that again this is a second go of severe illness potentially life-threatening almost life-threatening illness but yet stacy overcame it right so I know in the documentary, you're going to get into all the details of that and it's going to be really emotional and we can't wait to watch the documentary. I mean, I'm just so excited to, to watch this when it comes out. And this podcast, I think, is going to inspire so many people to want to watch and share your documentary. But what was it like to watch her recover from that, right? She, she went, she was underwater again and here she is today. I keep pointing out, now we're going on, you know, almost three hours on this podcast and she's doing really, really well, right? So, of course, we're never where we want to be. We always look forward to the future. But looking back, you've come a freaking long way, Stacey, right? So what is that like for the two of you, looking back at all you've been through and realizing the gains that you've made collectively as a team? And, you know, again, you're stronger together, right? If it weren't for you, Scott, I mean, it sounds like you wouldn't have made it, Stacey, through your, your last bout with, with cervical cancer. So re reflect on that a little bit for us. And Stacey, if you can start with that, please. It's not just me. It's I, 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 something that needs to be said here is not, it's, it's not just me. She is an incredibly strong woman. Um, while she's fighting this, she's helping me going through this because um, we haven't talked about this, but uh, I suffer from severe PTSD. So now throw us into a house together. And it is, uh, we are helping each other, fighting for each other every day. Look, as an outsider, you are better together. You have helped Stacy. Stacy's helped you. And I want to argue the fact that because Stacy is helping you, Scott, that has helped her expedite her healing because when we help people, we get endorphins, we get feel-good chemicals in our body. So as Stacy's helping you with your PTSD, she's getting these chemicals, which are, are anti-inflammatory, and they're healing chemicals, and she's and she's now working towards her own health. And as you're helping Stacy, Scott, you're helping Stacy and you're getting these feel-good chemicals, and it's helping you a little bit with your health. So I think together. There's so many benefits of you helping each other. And it's probably just grown your love and your care for each other significantly. And there's this mutual win-win symbiotic relationship that the two of you have that's been transformational and so powerful that you're describing. So, I mean, look, listening to this is just beautiful, hearing your story and how close you are throughout all this and how you're with each other and supporting each other through the thick and thin of it. I mean, it's just, it's just beautiful. So, you know, what are your thoughts on that? You know, it's been... My life has always been something. It's always been something huge and just like a whole bunch of wrecking balls constantly. And I've been used to that. Like that was nothing for me for many, many, many years until the line hit. Then I could not fend those wrecking balls off anymore. Then I started doing it again. And that's where the best friend 
thing comes in because he has the PTSD and some of my other friends have issues that I help with. So it takes care of my, however, I think with that, helping everybody else around me, I put myself in the back where I was not taking care of myself. And now that nothing, if there's no habit going on, right, Dr. Lawson, if there's no habit that I can fix in my life, which I'm down here with family, extended family helping with another emergency, that's what keeps me going is helping everybody else in their emergencies and their horrible situations. But I've come to the point to where I have to fix myself. I have to start taking care of my, because it's, it's too much on me. I've, I've, I'm, I'm, I'm at that crash and burn point. But Stacey, I know you're going to get through this and you're going to work on yourself and get through it. Right. So listening to this, it, I know for you, it must be hard because you're seeing this another battle in front of you, but we can tell based on everything you've done in your life and what we've learned in this interview that you're going to get through this and be stronger because of it. Right. And that's the beauty that we're seeing in this as, as third-party observers. Again, please reflect on that. And my final question before Rich picks up to to conclude the podcast here is though, and we're going to talk a lot about the, the documentary with Rich as a follow-up here, but is what inspired you, Stacey, right? I mean, because clearly this is a very emotional topic and I think all of us have cried. All of us have cried at least once already on this podcast because people can't see that this is a, an audio-only podcast. So, what what motivated you to rehash all of these emotions to do a documentary to put out there for the community when you knew this was going to be difficult and an emotional process? Because, and I'm going to be very honest about this. I have some celebrity friends that have come out with some things that have been bashed by the non-community and by the community. That's why it's kind of taken me a little longer to get this out because I have to be in a good place because I know I'm going to have a lot of people coming at me in negative ways. So right now, these three months that I have to take off to get my mind right I don't need, if I don't do this, it's going to push me over. They could potentially push me over that edge. So this is, I know that everybody needs to, somebody go somewhere. Okay. I don't know if, what was the question again? The question was, what inspired you to revisit all the pain that you had to revisit in order to be able to build this documentary and try to help the community through uh, learning from your suffering? And another huge part of it is, I think so many of us, including myself, just want it to go away and it's not going to go away no matter how hard we try to put it in this compartment that compartment shove it in the closet wherever and I have had so many people look at me and just you're not 
you're you're doing so much better. No, I'm not doing as as best as you think that I am. This, I'm still sick. I still have these issues. I still have Lyme disease. I still have people that don't believe, that do believe. You know, I've got so many people out there that, you know, they, they really need this to not give up. But don't for a second think that I don't know that I'm going to be attacked when all these things come out. I'm not looking forward to it at, at any means. I'm not looking forward to it. And I wish that we had so much more support. And I'm hoping, and I keep reflecting back to, you know what, if it just helps a couple of people, it's helped a couple of people. But I know, I know I'm gonna get a lot of backlash from this. It's not fair, but I know it's coming. Stacey, the question that Matt was really asking was knowing that you're going to get this backlash and knowing that there are going to be people in the general community who are not healthy, who are going to attack you. Why'd you do it? Why, why would you willing to make that personal sacrifice, knowing what you're going to face, but do it nonetheless? To help people to raise awareness and also let people know that my damn wife is not this whatever they think this grandioso peaches and cream, peaches and cream that yeah. I'm living every day. And Stacy just got all this medicine and she's running the world now and everything's perfect. And I did not let a lot of people see, like I put out some pictures on my good days. People did not see a lot of my bad days. 95% of my bad days looking terrible and everything else. They have not seen because I have been, I'm used to looking one way. I never wanted people to see me that way. So of course, I guess I have led people on that don't have Lyme disease, that this isn't as bad as it is. Stacey, I think this is a really important point because one of the things we see on social media, for example, especially on Instagram, is that... <clears throat> People will present their best face for a brief moment or in one picture or one part of one day. And uh, there'll be others in the community who will be critical of them for that presentation because it doesn't show the full spectrum of what Lyme disease is. And of course, you want to feel good for a moment. You want to present your best self when you're on social media or when you're doing work in the entertainment industry. But then there's this whole background of what your reality is. And the only way that can be shown is a in a documentary film. So uh, Dr. Lawson, let's talk about that. Let's talk about uh, the, the film and, and how you all built out the script for this film and what your hopes are for uh, this film when it's released by Netflix. Well, I've always uh, described Stacy as a national treasure, kind of like George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, Eleanor Roosevelt, and that this documentary, this podcast is a hallmark event that will make a significant difference in the treatment and recognition of Lyme's disease, not only in the United States, but in Europe, because of her message and um, our message with the documentary that the if you if uh, treatment 
early treatment is very effective, and then continued research for uh, finding uh, ways in which to bring the chronic Lyme disease under control for those people that didn't get the early treatment. So Stacy uh, runs the whole script. I just sit there and tell her the, I just tell the story. That's all I do and validate that, that with her treatment, she did show improvement in everything. Uh, but she, they, the people want her uh, in these movies, as far as I can tell, not just because she's an actress, because but she's a producer, and she'll get the she'll get the production out on time, under budget, without anybody getting shot with a firearm, and, and that's that's what they that's what they keep calling her for. That's why she's scheduled for eight other. Uh, 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 cast for eight other movies this year is because they they count on her to get the movie out. I mean, just recently she was she had to go back to Savannah to get an, another movie put together because of a glitch that occurred in the production, and and she was she said she she took on the responsibility to go back and take care of the problem, even though it probably wasn't her fault that the glitch happened. But that's the way she is, and that's why these people. Um, demand her presence on uh, in the productions, and that's why, if she develops her own uh, movie production studio here in Greenville, she's going to be very successful, and 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 that will have that will make a big impact on on the Greenville area, a new industry coming in here for thousands of patients and the pa people that work. So I'm I'm proud to death of her, and uh, and and uh, that's why I call her a national treasure. So Scott, as the husband of the national treasure, talk to us about what it was like um, to have your wife use her diverse set of talents to put together a documentary film, which she knows is going to result in her being criticized in some circles, which she knows is not necessarily going to be helpful in her own health, but that she's willing to do because she needs to make the sacrifice to help others and their suffering. But see, you just said it. Um, she puts so many people ahead of herself. Um, she constantly does that. She's done it for me. She's done it for her family. She's done it for friends. She's done it for people that she doesn't even know. She constantly does that. That is my wife. The thing about the documentary is those that have Lyme disease or those that live with people who have Lyme disease understand there is a whole community out there who don't know anything about it and think it's more like a mosquito bite. And I don't want to understate them and we're, we're not calling them, you know, it's just ignorant of the facts. The other portion that really needs to understand this is why Doc is here, is the medical, uh, the medical community. There is a very simple solution for addressing this. And this needs to get out there. This information needs to get out there. People need to know. People need to be aware. It's, it's a very simple thing. And she is taking this on like she does with so many others 
selflessly to help them to be be there for them to be there for me to be them there for her friends for her family she has done this over and over and over again and this is her and i love her for it so stacy we all love you for it uh, because you're a superhero and we here at think boot camp find superheroes as people who use their gifts and talents to help other people without the expectation that they'll get anything in return. And they do that consistently. And you've heard from, from Dr. Lawson and you've heard from your husband that you are the manifestation of a superhero. So talk to us about um, what folks can expect to see in this film. And I, I just want you to tease it. Don't obviously give us too much, but what people are going to see in this film when they uh, have an opportunity to view it on Netflix in the next couple of months. They are going to be able to see what it is really like that this facade that I've put out to the world, it's not any fashion of the way my life is. So when people see, oh, well, that's great. That's cool. She's like Lyme disease is just a tick bite and mm. she's going to go on and she's done no, they're about to see, like, there are so many more darker things that I have not talked about on this that people are probably going to be, I would have never guessed. I would have never guessed. I would have never guessed she's done that. I would have never guessed that she thought that way. I would have never guessed. They're going to be floored because they see this person that helps everybody else and there are some things that I have done that have I have self-sabotaged myself a lot that people don't know. And they're probably gonna hit the floor. And I, I think we're gonna we're gonna leave that as your last quote because we know that you hope that this is going to allow people to understand the full breadth of Lyme disease help people to understand how important it is to avoid Lyme disease and how important it is to get early intervention in the event that you do suffer a tick bite after you're hopefully checking on a regular basis. So we can't thank you enough to Stacey Johnson, uh, Scott Duclau, or Ducalo, am I pronouncing it again? Duclo. And, and Dr. Jeffrey Lawson uh, for spending so much time with us and our community at Tick Bootcamp. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to our Tick Boot Camp interview with our guests, Stacy Johnson, Scott Duclo, and Dr. Jeffrey Lawson. To our listeners, we have a call to action. First, if you'd like to learn more about Stacy, Scott, and Dr. Lawson, please check out Stacy on Instagram at actor underscore Stacy underscore Johnson. Second, if you've enjoyed this episode of our Tick Boot Camp podcast, please share it with your friends on social media. Third, Tick Boot Camp has created a Tick Bite Blueprint that has been inspired by the information that has been shared with us by past podcast guests. We urge you to visit our website at tickbootcamp.com to view the blueprint. Please note, we appreciate any input or improvements you'd like to share with us. Fourth, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify to get your automatic episode updates of our Tick Bootcamp podcast. And finally, we thank you, our community, for your comments on our past podcast episodes. Please take a minute to leave us an honest review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, on social media, or on our website. We make it a point to read every single one of the reviews you share with us. Thank you, as always, for listening.